seems like we're heading toward two Americas, one where abortion is legal and one where it's not. And that's even before the Supreme Court weighs in on Roe v. Wade. Today on the podcast, we talk about the state of abortion laws in the states. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly legal news podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. When the law moves fast, things get confusing, and almost no area is moving as fast right now as abortion law. Texas enacted its now-famous SB-8 less than a year ago. That was the law that banned abortion after six weeks of gestation and also included a controversial bounty system that allowed private citizens to sue people who perform or facilitate an abortion. Since then, Kentucky, Oklahoma, Arizona, and just last week, Florida, enacted their own abortion restriction laws. And abortion bills are working their way through legislatures in several other Republican-led states. And as if that wasn't enough, all of this is happening in lead-up to a Supreme Court opinion expected this summer in a case called Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health. It's expected to overturn or at least significantly weaken the Roe v. Wade precedent. It's honestly not easy to keep track of all this, but that's why we have Jennifer Kay. She's a correspondent with Bloomberg Law who's been tracking state abortion laws and making sense out of it all. We also have Lydia Wheeler, a Bloomberg Law columnist who's been writing about the national implications of these laws, including whether they could target out-of-state healthcare providers. We'll get to Lydia in a second, but first I started by asking Jennifer to just give me a rundown of all the laws that have been passed since SB8 in Texas and what they do. So there's been a lot of activity on the abortion front. So quickly on the things that are most like the Texas law, SB 8, there's a ban in Idaho on abortions after six weeks of pregnancy that was supposed to take effect this week. Uh, it, it also, like Texas, expressly prohibits state officials from taking any enforcement action and would rely on private civil lawsuits. But the Idaho Supreme Court temporarily blocked that law from taking effect. So further arguments are coming on that. There's some pending legislation that's very similar to the Texas law in Louisiana and Missouri. Uh, Missouri would take these civil lawsuits one step farther and allow private citizens to sue anyone who performs an abortion or helps a person get the procedure either in or out of state. And that includes help getting abortion medication. And then you have other states that have been moving to further restrict abortion in other ways that are different from what Texas did. Oklahoma's governor signed a law that's basically, in effect, a total abortion ban, except in cases of a life-threatening medical emergency to the mother. Kentucky, Florida, and Arizona have passed laws banning abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. And then you have some states that are moving the other way to protect abortion rights. You have California banning insurance deductibles and co-pays for abortions. And Colorado's governor signed a law affirming abortion rights in the state should the U.S. Supreme Court overturn Roe v. Wade. That's interesting that some of these states included the sort of the really controversial so-called bounty measure uh, in their bills and others didn't. Can you talk a little bit about that? Why did some states go for that and others not? Well, some states have gone for that not on abortion. Uh, you've seen that actually in a couple Florida laws this year, one regarding uh, so-called instruction of critical race theory, either in schools or in diversity training in the workplace. And then the other bill you may have heard of, the so-called don't say gay bill. Um, both of those laws have a, have a mechanism in there that is 
basically enforcement via civil lawsuit. Um, I believe there's also legislation in California regarding gun rights that relied on the same lawsuit idea. So states are seeing what Texas did there and the, how the courts reacted to it, and they're just applying it to things that aren't abortion. Uh, there was some discussion of using it in abortion in Florida, uh, but there wasn't a lot of response from the leadership and the legislature on that. They didn't want you narking on your neighbor, so to speak, when it came to abortion anyway. Well, let's take a big step back here and talk about the timing of all of this, because uh, as I think a lot of our listeners know, there's a big Supreme Court decision that's uh, set to come up in a case called Dobbs out of Mississippi. Um, I'm a little surprised that all these states are moving forward ahead of that ruling. Why are they doing this now instead of waiting for the opinion in Dobbs when presumably there would be a lot more clarity on what abortion law will look like after that opinion? Well, the lawmakers that are pushing for these bills, particularly the 15-week bans, like we saw in the Dobbs case, so Kentucky, Arizona, and Florida, they're pretty confident that that 15-week ban is going to be upheld. And one of the things that they point to are the advances in medicine and technology since the two big Supreme Court cases on abortion were decided, Roe v. Wade in 1973 and Planned Parenthood versus Casey in 1992. Uh, those lawmakers say those advances tell us more about what a fetus experiences in utero, and so previous standards applied by the court are outdated. They think that that's going to support their 15-week ban. Um, so Arizona Senator Nancy Bartow said many of her supporters believe that fetal viability will no longer be the standard going forward. And Florida Representative Aaron Grawl said the state would be in the best position to, quote unquote, save a significant number of babies very quickly if they passed a 15 week ban before the Supreme Court acted on Dobbs. But I guess, I mean, it is possible, theoretically, that, you know, the, all, all of these laws that the states worked so hard on and have passed could be invalidated depending on what's in this opinion in Dobbs. Right. But think about it this way. So the Dobbs case is from Mississippi. It's a 15-week ban enacted in 2018. Uh, it was immediately stalled in court. It's been in the court system for a number of years now. But the very next year, in 2019, Mississippi lawmakers went back and passed and signed a six-week abortion ban, a so-called fetal heartbeat bill. So, and, and that one also is now tied up in, in federal lawsuits. So just because something is pending in court, lawmakers don't see that as an impediment to passing more restrictions. There are a number of laws on the books in states that are just waiting for a favorable court ruling to take effect. That's really interesting. Um, Lydia, let's turn to you. You wrote a story recently that uh, talked about laws not regarding abortion, but about prescription medications that can terminate a pregnancy. So sort of expanding the scope of, you know, what these laws cover. Can you talk a little bit about your story? What's going on with these laws that prohibit the use of, of pregnancy ending medication? That's right. So states like Alabama, um, Mississippi, Kansas, and I think there's 16 other states now um, that have laws requiring a clinician to be physically present when um, these abortion-inducing drugs are administered. Um, these laws prohibit drugs like mifepristone from being prescribed through a telehealth appointment, um, and some actually pre prevent them from being sent through the mail. Um, in Texas, uh, violators can actually be jailed and fined up to 10 
$10,000 under a law that took effect in December. And what's interesting is what these laws do is they make it difficult to get abortion medications that the Food and Drug Administration has actually deemed um, safe and effective to take up to 10 weeks of pregnancy, especially for people who live in rural areas or even in states where there are actually very few abortion providers. And we know that medical abortion is what it's referred to. This is these abortion-inducing drugs. They're one of the most common ways that people choose to end an early pregnancy. Yeah. I mean, your story was really fascinating because it seems like it's taking something that's legal at the federal level, making it illegal at the state level in certain states. But even beyond that, it seemed like these laws that are getting passed could allow one state to go after a pharmacist or a medical provider in a different state. How does that work? I mean, does does like, let's say Texas or Alabama, do they have the jurisdiction to go after a pharmacist in Massachusetts? So that's the rub, right, is that these type of restrictions are actually really hard to enforce, and um, they create a, a whole host of legal questions. So so same thing that you're talking about. Say you have a provider that's in a state like New York where medical abortion is allowed um, to be prescribed via a telehealth appointment, and that provider is treating a patient that's actually somewhere in Mississippi where um, you can't do that. Is it the duty of the provider to investigate where that patient actually is, and if so, to what end? And, you know, does it matter where the care is taking place? And if so, is the care technically taking place in New York where the provider is or is it taking place in Mississippi, um, you know, where the patient is? And, you know, then when you get to the laws that prevent drugs from being sent by mail, how do you track that? You know, there are some websites where you can actually order these drugs online. You know, what's stopping someone from sending the drugs to, like, say, a family member out of state and then just driving to get them? Um, you know, some states are actually working to make these laws um, harder to enforce. Um, you know, we have states like California and Connecticut. Um, they have proposed laws to shield doctors and nurses and patients um, from being sued or even penalized for violating another state's abortion restrictions. So some states are trying to make it so that you can't subpoena someone uh, like a doctor from out of state just for, you know, violating that state's prohibitions. When I when I read that in your story, I immediately like a light bulb went off over my head and I was like, this is going to the Supreme Court. There's no doubt in my mind because it's like this is exactly the kind of like state versus state conflict that the Supreme Court is like designed to resolve. It just feels like this has got to end up up there, right? I mean, not soon, but at some point. Definitely. Everyone is saying that, you know, in the post-Roe world, once the Supreme Court decides, um, you know, the the issues they're ruling in Dobbs, that this is going to be the next big fight over abortion care because these laws are so hard to enforce. It's important to note that these laws primarily affect women who are seeking abortions most acutely. But I also want to talk about how they're affecting doctors and pharmacists and healthcare providers. Um, Lydia, you know, if you're the general counsel of a hospital or just a healthcare business, what are you telling your executives when they're asking you for legal advice here? I mean, is the only thing to do to take a really conservative, you know, lower C conservative approach here and say, we just can't perform abortion services, it's too legally risky? Like, what do you, what do, you do here? 
I think that's definitely what's happening is that some abortion providers um, in states that have severely limited access to abortion procedures already are they're nervous and they aren't willing to take that legal risk of being sued and potentially losing their medical license. Um, you know, we saw after the Texas abortion law, SB8, um, we saw that that had a really chilling effect on providers. Um, you know, it's been reported that abortions in the state dropped by half of 50% and that wait times for procedures out of state went up. So yes, some providers are just being like, I'm not willing. Um, In researching my story about the medical abortion, there are some sites um, that provide the telehealth visits, and they have large disclaimers on their sites already that are saying we are only treating people in these these states, and they list it out. So you can already see some providers being extra cautious. And I think that's what, you know, attorneys would tell them because, you know, sometimes these providers are not wealthy, you know, they don't, they have limited operating budgets, and they just can't afford, you know, the legal to be bombarded with lawsuits and litigation. It's not just healthcare providers that are kind of facing what to do with these restrictions. You have just employers uh, facing what to do with these restrictions. And we're already seeing some large companies saying we're going to cover travel costs for our employees seeking abortion because of because of the law in Texas and the copycat laws or, or similar laws that we're seeing somewhere else. And those companies are, are big companies. They're Citigroup Inc. They are the dating websites Match and Bumble. They are Lyft and Uber. Uh, they're, they're saying, look, we're going to set up a fund or we're going to pay legal fees. We're going to counter this ourselves and help our employees get the services that they need. So that may be something that we see going forward is more companies, n- not just the companies that are providing these services, but companies of women who are seeking them, how are you going to handle your employee who needs, who's based in Texas but needs to go as far away as California to have something performed? Right. And I would add to that that I saw uh, just recently that California advanced a proposal um, to propose a law that would actually create a fund to help low income, not only Californian residents, but also people from out of state come to California and access the procedure and, and, and be able to have it paid for. So you already see states trying to create ways to make abortion access even easier for people. Okay, finally, I have a question I want to ask both of you guys. Um, you know, it's a crystal ball question. So there's a you know, big disclaimer there right off the bat. But Jennifer, you know, where are we heading in terms of abortion law in the in the United States? You know, I mean, it feels like there's a tectonic shift. Plates are moving. Once they stop moving, where will we be? Will we have a situation where every Republican led state where Republicans control, you know, the legislature and or the governorship are is will abortion be illegal in those states? Is that where we're, we're going? Let me put it this way. I'm pretty hard-pressed to think of a Republican-led state that isn't already pretty far down the road to exactly that scenario. Like we've said, or or we've alluded to at least a little, there are states that already have trigger laws and other restrictions on the books should Roe v. Wade or or the Casey rulings be overturned. Um, And like we saw in Mississippi, when they enact one restriction, they will come back the next year and enact more restrictions. And these states have laws, like Louisiana is another example, that has a number of laws that are waiting to take effect should courts rule in favor of Mississippi laws or Texas laws. So I think in many ways we're already there. Lydia, what do you think? Are we heading toward a situation where 
abortion is illegal in half the states and legal in the other half. I totally agree um, that we are already headed in that direction, that states are gearing up for a world without, you know, any abortion rights whatsoever. Um, And I would say that, um, you know, what will be interesting to see is what happens in the more moderate states, you know, more purple states like Virginia. Um, Will they be susceptible to political pressure from conservatives to enact tougher bans on abortion? Or will the Supreme Court ruling, you know, or a Supreme Court ruling striking down Roe, if they do that, you know, push them to actually be a little bit more abortion neutral or even more supportive of abortion. So I think what we're going to see is we're going to have, you know, Republican-led states, it's going to be all-out bans on abortion, and then you're going to have these kind of abortion tourism states where people are flocking to to get the procedure. But kind of those middle states, those middle ground states, it'll be really interesting to watch what they do. That's a new phrase that we're all going to have to get used to saying, abortion tourism. Okay, that was uh, Jennifer Kay and Lydia Wheeler speaking to us uh, on the landscape of abortion law in the United States. Thank you guys for chatting. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. Our editor is Andrew Satter, and our executive producer is Josh Block. Reach out to us on Twitter. If you have anything on your mind, we use the handle at BLaw. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. You don't need to be a judge to be interested in our nation's laws and legal institutions. Just like you don't need to have a law degree to be curious about the inner workings of courts, law firms, and law schools. That's where we come in. My name's Adam Allington, and I'm the host of Uncommon Law, a podcast from the Bloomberg Industry Group. Uncommon Law is where public policy, storytelling, and the law are combined. We explore big topics ranging from tech policy to free speech to race and gender diversity. So please give us a listen. You can subscribe and download today. Just search for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much.